Good morning. Um, am I on? Okay, there we go. So it's really good to be here. Two years ago, I was with you all, and it was like right before COVID hit. And then we all had to go in our caves. And um, some people struggled with that as a self-professed uh, introvert. I felt like I'd been training for that my whole life. <laughs> you mean I have to go and stay inside my house and not be around other people and it's to save the world? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you're anything like me, then, you know, it's prayerfully starting to wane and come to an end and we get to come back out of our hibernation and there's part of me that's like I don't know if I want to <laughs> I kind of liked it in there um, and so you know we too started at home to be like hey we're gonna be able to you know as you're comfortable and safe come on back together and meet together and I was like yeah I was kind of okay with the Zoom thing, being on my own. But I realized, you know, that at, at a fundamental level that being a Christian means I'm part of a redeemed people who live life together as an alternate to society in a different way. We need each other. And so, well, yeah, it was some terrible circumstances and we had to sort of separate. I kind of have to push myself out a little bit and uh, get back with you all. So it's really good to be here uh, with this large of a crowd this morning and, and be with you all. Um, so thank you for having me once again. Um, we're in a series uh, on the, the battle for the mind and I really appreciate what, you know, Jeff had some advantages over me, by the way. Um, first of all, he got to speak last week with Lynn. I'm up here by myself. <laughs> so that's a huge advantage right there. Um, but, you know, I kind of think about this series and it's going to continue next week. Jeff's, Jeff and Lynn's lesson was kind of like uh, the Avenger movies, if you remember those, the early ones, right? There's some enemies, there's bad guys, and we're in a battle, but we got good guys, and we can fight these enemies off and take care of them, and we got things that will, you know, counter against the enemies. And then came Infinity War. <laughs> oh, the enemies far bigger than we might have thought, far more dangerous far more cunning and powerful. And virtually everybody gets wiped out and the good guys lose. And then there's Endgame. Oh, the good guys win. This lesson is Infinity War. <laughs> this is the bad news. You're gonna think I'm exaggerating or playing but you're gonna find out that not every sermon, especially when you're in a series, ends on a high note. It's not all good news. I have a couple volunteers, by the way. Could, could they come on up right now? They don't know what they're doing. 
This is always dangerous. Thank you. Matthew and Latoya, you can come on over here. Now, we have some yogurt here. Took me a while to find people who still eat dairy. Now, oh. Is there a cover on that one? Oh, there's like a plastic cover on it. Ooh, who knew? All right. Now, this is plain yogurt, all right? Plain. You excited about that? You are. You like plain yogurt? Kind of. Kind of. What? You don't like plain yogurt. Okay. So, a lot of people I'm hearing during the pandemic uh, didn't eat the best and put on some friends. <laughs> and so now I think as it's coming to an end, everybody's like, got to eat healthy again. Got to break those bad habits. I, I want to eat healthy. So that's kind of, we have plain yogurt here. But there's a catch before you eat it. You see, um, Latoya has kind of fundamentally in her mind, she doesn't like to eat food that doesn't taste good, right? Because who does? So that's fair? Okay. So we're going to take your yogurt and we're going to put it in there. And Latoya likes to add a little peanut butter. Play, play with me here. And a little honey? Okay, all right. A little honey in there. And you got to have some texture. Thank you. Yeah. Are you feeling left out? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to put some granola in there. And let's just top it off with some chocolate chips. You don't like chocolate? I'll eat it, but I don't like chocolate. Okay, we'll forget the chocolate. <laughs> we don't need that. We'll put in some more granola. Okay. All right. Who doesn't like chocolate, Latoya? <laughs> I'm not suspicious about you. <laughs> we mix this up. That looks good. All right. Now, you can take a couple bites of that. You can go ahead and eat yours. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Take a bite. What do we got? Yum. It's plain yogurt, right? It's yum. It's edible. This is good. It's good. You could eat that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Okay, here's the catch. This is 100 calories. That's almost 700 calories. <laughs> is that not crazy? I noticed you haven't stopped eating. She said YOLO. <laughs> YOLO. Okay. You can take that with you. You can take that with you. You can take your honey, too. It's your honey. <laughs> so, okay. Let's put that away. So, here's the thing. We can want healthy food, but have an underlying mindset that says, but I don't want to eat things that I don't like the taste of. 
So I'm going to add some things in, right? Well, I could just have some plain chicken breast. That's boring. Let me throw some sauce on there. And the sauces actually can be more calories than the chicken breast itself. And so it sort of sneaks up on you. And so this is not a cooking show, by the way. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is we can have these underlying foundational mindsets that actually block us from thinking and going in the direction that we want. It actually carries us in another direction. And it's underneath where we tend to sort of think we want to do, like, I, I want to eat healthy, but, you know, I don't want to just eat spinach. Let me throw some croutons in there and a little bit of cheese and some dressing and some more cheese. And all of a sudden, it's no longer health food, but we think it is, right? And so... That's kind of what I want to talk about today with this idea of the, the battle for the mind. I completely agree with what Jeff and Lynn talked about last week. The battle is in the mind. It's at our thought level. It gets in there. Think about it. Everything you've ever done, every action you've ever taken started with a thought. There's the old saying that you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny, but it all begins with a thought. But there's a lower level to that. In Genesis 1, we are told, of course, that God made all human beings as image bearers, reflectors of his will. That's our vocation in life. That's what we were created to do is to represent God to the creation and rule over creation, exercising his will. But in Genesis 3, the serpent comes. And the serpent throws out a different plan. Did God really say that? And I think there's a, we could probably pull out more, but there's at least five seeds of a lie that the serpent plants in that one interaction. The first is that we should solely trust in the experiential, in our experience. What looks good to the eye? What seems good to the feelings? Our desires. Yes, that's what you want to go after. What you desire is the greatest good, and you should have it. That's a foundational lie. Mistrust is the second one. Did God really say? You know what? God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know who knows best for you? You do. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. The third one, idolatry. God doesn't get to call the shots. God's not at the center. God's not the highest. You are. You are in the place of God. You can be more than an image bearer. What you want, what you want matters deeply. And you should have it. 
That puts tremendous and untenable pressure on anything that we put in the place of God because nothing else can bear that weight. The fourth seed of a lie is superiority. You're not an image bearer. You can be like God. You're better than that. You're better than, you know, serving and putting the interests of others first and acting for the benefit of others. You're better than that. I just saw this movie in a clip of it in the hotel this week. It was called Wonder Woman 84. It's a terrible movie, uh, but it was awful. But the underlying thing was the, the bad guy was trying to get everybody to go after their desires and what they wanted, and the world just broke down. But is that not a picture of what we are today? And as soon as we create the category of superiority, then we've opened up the door for the category of inferiority. And that's where we get in trouble. In fact, there's a bigger enemy than just our own thoughts. That's where the battle is. But I think sometimes we get the picture that there's like a, a, a goblin, Satan on our shoulder, whispering thoughts to us. You know, and we tend to use that language like, oh, Satan was tempting me. Satan ain't tempting you personally. I, I just don't think so. I don't think that's what the Bible presents. That's to present Satan as an omnipresent being that's, you know, different than what he is. And plus, the only, the only scene we see in the Bible of Satan personally tempting somebody is Jesus. You couldn't handle it if Satan tempted you personally. Neither could I. But what the Bible presents instead, look over in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, we'll get to, I'm not saying Satan's not involved in this, so don't think I'm, I'm saying that. It's just at a deeper level than we tend to think about. In verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What is being described here, the elemental spiritual forces in other places, um, such as Galatians 4, um, uh, later in Colossians 2, 2 Peter talks about it, is the powers and principalities. Satan, the demonic world, but these powers and principalities that work primarily to influence and corrupt the structures, the systems, the societies, the cultures, the things that we accept at a foundational, fundamental level, that's the powers and principalities. The Bible doesn't go into a lot of explanation of exactly where they came from or how they work, but it tells us to be aware of their effects. 1 Timothy 4 says, demons teach things. And, and so what it does is it perverts, they pervert and they corrupt culture and society so that we buy into foundational lies and ways of thinking that then mix with our own desires and selfishness to swirl around and that's what takes our thought life into a whole nother way. So it's not as though a goblin's sitting on our shoulder whispering to us, but they're working at a much more foundational, invisible level. I deserve things. 
I should have. I shouldn't feel discomfort or pain. These sorts of thoughts, those sort of foundational ways of thinking mix with my own sort of selfish desires and then our brains just go, right? Does that make sense? And it's, it's Satan working through what I call ticks. T-I-C-S, thoughts, ideas, concepts, and suggestions. But it's baked into society. So if I just focus on what I think, that's great. That's a great place to start. We've got to fight the battle there. But we've also got to go deeper at some of these underlying assumptions that have been built into us through society. At the level of elemental thinking, it influences ideologies, states, or the state, trends of thought, all of that sort of thing. Look over in Matthew chapter 4. Are, are we tracking or have I lost you? Okay. I'm really tempted to finish that peanut butter. I'm going to set that out of <laughs> arm's length. I can't believe out of all the volunteers, I got somebody who doesn't like chocolate. Who doesn't like chocolate? <laughs> this is top notch. Nestle Toll House morsels. <laughs> I would have added a whole nother 100 calories. Okay, so let's look at these, found, these, these seeds of lies. Now, I said there was five. If you're counting, I've only mentioned four. I'm not that bad at math. I'm saving one. Okay? Verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I feel like that's an understatement. Not that it's not true, just understatement. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Satan is doing here personally, I think, is what happens to us through structures and systems and the trends and the ways of thinking in the world but he's doing it personally to the Messiah. He's challenging them, him on some of these fundamental seeds. This one is the experiential. You don't want to miss out. You deserve this. You shouldn't have to go hungry. You're the son of God. You should just be able to, come on, feed yourself. And we buy into that foundational lie. I shouldn't have to go through pain. And we struggle with it, right? Like bad things happen. It's like, God, why would you let this happen to me? And we start to negotiate with God. That affects how we think. That affects some of the negative thoughts. And it starts to, because it's, it's, it's deep down in us as an accepted reality. I shouldn't have to go through bad things. In fact, if you are God's son, 
He wouldn't want you to be hungry. So why are you hungry? You see what I'm saying? It can go in all kinds of different ways, but it's just experiential. The next one, and, and notice he controverts it with God's word, right? But look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. See, if I can get one of these seeds in your mind, I can even twist the word of God on you. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus recalibrates his mind. It's also written, do not put your Lord God to the test. He rejects the seed of mistrust. God won't let anything bad happen. Have you ever had that where something is not going your way and you start bargaining with God like, God, you could fix this. Come on, God. I, I know you got bigger things than a flat tire, but if you could just blow this tire back up. <laughs> and when things do go bad, then we start to mistrust God. Because we start to feel like, well, if God is God, then he won't let anything bad happen to me. Then it says in verse 7, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8, again the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Here I think we see two. We see idolatry and superiority. I'll give you everything you want. The Bible says Satan is the ruler of the kingdoms of the air. He, I'll give you a shortcut. I know you came to be king. You can be king. You just don't need to go the way of the cross. You don't need a sacrifice. You can do, I'll give you the easy way out. Peter fell for that, didn't he? When Jesus started talking about, I'm going to go and lay my life down and the Son of Man, and Peter was like, whoa, no, 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 Jesus, don't talk like that. You're going to discourage the guys. We're going to the capital city and take it over. You're going to be king. And Jesus said something very similar to what he says here. Oh, I recognize this attitude. Get behind me, Satan, get away. He didn't want to suffer. So it started, so when Jesus started telling him the truth about who he was and how it was going to work, he had no place for it in his mind. His thoughts went in a whole different direction because he had laid a foundational brick that said, Following the Messiah means I won't have bad things happen to me. If I'm a good Christian, then everything will go my way. It's hard to accept that that's a lie. And then there's a the fifth one. The fifth seed from the garden, identity. Seems so simple. You 
are your own. That's all. You're your own. You belong to you. Rather than you belong to God. We live in a culture that has become expert in telling us that we create our own identity. We define our own happiness. We create our identity and reality. That's, that's up to us to decide. Every message. The media is great at it. Social media has perfected it. You create your identity. I go on the, on the gram and I get to tell you who I am. I get to craft this. And it's even at a more foundational level now, we have decided you get to totally decide everything about your identity because you are your own. You get to decide who you are, how you are, what you are at every foundational level. But you want to know the really big problem with that? Here's, here's where that becomes a, a major issue for us. By its very nature, identity demands a witness. What do I mean by that? Well, think about if you're on a deserted island by yourself. You don't need an identity, do you? This is you. You don't think about it. You just go about. Nobody's around. Identity, by its nature, means how you are perceived by others what your role is, what your purpose is. So identity needs a witness. Now, if we belong to God, then God creates our identity. Our identity is found in God, restored in Christ. He is both creator, owner, and witness to who we are. We don't need to craft an identity. We need to find it according to his purpose. But if you are your own and you get to create your own identity, which again is what our culture tells us, find your purpose, chase your desires, create your identity. Well, then who's the witness to that? Now I desperately need you. I desperately need you to affirm my identity, to embrace my identity. And if you somehow even say, well, I don't agree with what you're doing, but it's your choice. You have denied my humanity. How dare you? And now there's a problem. See, what the... What the powers and principalities are best at is dividing us. That's what they do through those systems of superiority. They've divided us at structural, big, cultural levels by nation, by race, by status, whatever it is. They divide. They convince us that one is superior and one is inferior, but they also work through this identity. And now we're at each other's throats. And with this idea of identity, it mixes in with this belief that our desires are the greatest good and our desires are our true selves, in fact. So we're told to chase those. We're told to go after those, to find our purpose. 
and we become a bundle of unmet desires that must be met. I'll find my identity if I can get this and become this, then I'll be happy. And this is where I'm tempted to think, boy, Satan has the world in his grips. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul says the thing about the powers and principalities is we're enslaved by them. You can't escape them. Because they've also created the ways we think and the wisdom that we have. And so then we use that and think, oh, we'll make ourselves happy and find our identity and meet our desires through that. And it circles right back around to enslavement to the darkness of the powers and principalities. He says you can't escape it on your own. Boy, the world, oh, that poor world, they are so fooled by this. But before we go too far, there's an author, Alan Noble, and speaking on this, he says, listen to this quote, if everyone in America started attending church, I doubt that any of the major issues facing our society today would be resolved. We'd probably find ourselves just as unwell and just as burned out. The only real difference is that we'd have an evangelical spin to our counseling and programs of self-improvement. Because this lie that we are our own has infected us just as much as it has non-Christians. We just put a Christian spin on it. Oh, I got to find my purpose. And you know what? God told me that I should be doing this. And so I got to fulfill my destiny and my purpose. And if you stand in my way, then you're blocking the will of God. And we still go after this. And what Noble goes on to say is we're so consumed with this idea of finding our identity and finding our happiness and desire that... um, and, and what we actually are, he says, is, is we're in an environment then that we weren't created for. And he, he compares it to a lion. If you've ever gone to a zoo and seen a lion in an enclosure that it wasn't designed for and it's just locked in, and they actually call it zoocosis, where the animals start to go crazy and they just do the same thing over and over again. Have you ever seen that where they just walk? It's because they've literally lost their mind. Because they're not in an environment that they were made for. That's not how they were designed. And he says, humans have, have been locked into this world where we think we are our own. And we think that we should go after creating this identity. And we've always, I've got to find out who I am. I just, oh, I've got to, I've got to discover who I really am. And this is who I really am. And you know what I'm saying? And he says, that's not an environment we were created for. And so there's this constant angst and depression and just like messed upness about us. And so what we've decided to do as a society is we self-medicate. And it's actual medication, it's alcohol, it's drugs, it's pursuits, it's social media, it's you name it, we fill it in. We're always on our phones. 
We're doing something. Oh, we'll, and we'll get ourselves out by creating a better program, a better way, more efficiency, and then we'll realize ourselves and we'll go after that. And so we'll get more efficient. That's where we're at now. We've, we, everything's efficient. We got to get efficient. That'll help us get out of this. And then we'll become our full selves and we'll get our full identity. Efficiency. Yay. And the more we do that, the less human we become because now we barely even interact with each other anymore. I can order my food. I don't have to talk to a person. I can sit at home. I can go through the self-help aisle. It's all about efficiency. And we're stuck in an environment because we have these foundational ways of thinking and we're just literally chasing our tails. The problem seems insurmountable. Culture tells us to be true to yourself. The gospel calls us to die to ourself. Culture tells us self-indulgence is the way to freedom. The gospel says it's self-denial. You thought I was kidding when I said this was the bad news. This is infinity war. It's bigger than we thought. Let me just end on this. Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans. Yeah, chapter 8. If you've seen Infinity War, when all seems lost, when the battle's over, they've lost, there's a post-credit scene where there's a signal sent out. Right? Those who live according to the flesh, it says in verse 5, have their minds set on the flesh, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. There is a way to win this, to have our minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's where we're going to pick up next week in this series. See, that's why Endgame was the biggest movie of all time. Because it ended with there's got to be something better than this, you got to come back. <laughs> to find out how we get our minds set on what the Spirit desires, you got to come back next week. Thank you so much. Yeah.